Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast, the world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mariner's Mirror podcast, and to this, our fourth episode in our mini-series on the maritime history of Sweden. So far, we've heard about Sweden's naval history since 1500, how it influences contemporary defence thinking. We've heard about Swedish Vikings travelling to Arab lands. We've been on a tour of Stockholm's National Maritime Museum. We've heard all about Frederick Henrik Af Chapman, the grandfather of naval architecture. And today, we're at another museum, the fantastic Vrak the Museum of Wrecks. Nowhere else in the world are there as many well-preserved wooden wrecks as there are in the Baltic. People have lived on the shores of the Baltic ever since the end of the Ice Age. That's close to 10,000 years ago. People have travelled, sailed, hunted and waged war there for millennia. Now, importantly, the Baltic has special water conditions. It's cold and brackish and has low oxygen levels, which means there is no shipworm. There is no Teredo Navalis, which means, in turn, that timber structures survive in exceptional condition. And we're not just talking about wrecked ships, but Stone Age settlements, ship barriers from the Viking and medieval periods and remnants of ports and industries. This all constitutes a cultural heritage shared with all of the people who live around the Baltic Sea. This museum embraces that heritage and resource and tells the stories with the help of digital technology, leaving the wrecks on the bottom of the Baltic Sea. The museum is on the waterfront at Stockholm, overlooking the ancient port's lively maritime traffic. A wonderful place to be. And to find out more, I sat down with Susanna Villejos from the museum. I'm sitting in uh, the staff area. I love going behind the scenes in museums. I'm in the staff area having a lovely cup of tea with Susanna. Um, and I've just been looking around this fabulous, fabulous place. Tell me about your museum and um, when did the idea originate? What's the kind of the big mission? <laughs> so first of all, thank you for having me. I think this is a treat to be able to be <laughs> on Mariner's Mirror. 
and uh, to chat with you about this. So um, this museum is called Vrak Museum of Wrecks. And so it's actually mixing both Swedish and English. And the reason behind that is that we're not just looking at what is or the cultural heritage within the national borders of Sweden, but what's beneath the entire Baltic Sea region. Um, and so the idea for this, my understanding is that it sort of developed about six, seven years ago. The initial people involved in the project are not involved with it anymore. Right. Um, but the idea was to sort of expand what we are working with in Sweden, in the Maritime Museums of Sweden. You might be familiar with the Vasa Museum. Yes, been our, there this morning. Great. So that's <laughs> that's where I used to work as well. So so the Vasa Museums are sister museum, and I would say that um, the project helped establish maritime archaeology in Sweden, and obviously it's sort of been significant or important internationally as well. Um, but I feel like it's led to people associating maritime archaeology with just Vasa, sure. especially here in the Baltic, even though there are thousands of other wrecks that tell many other different stories. And it's an international you know, problem yeah. as well, actually, being able to exactly. tell the story of all of those wrecks. And so we, we're just trying to sort of show that there's so much more. And, uh, and that's, I think that's perfectly how this thing grew, because the conditions in the water here are, are, are obviously phenomenal. Very few other places have, have sort of the conditions that we have here. So tell, talk, let's talk about that just oh, yeah. for a moment. Why are, they, why are they so good? Well, for one, um, we, well, we don't have a shipworm that, um, you know, the organism that drills holes through woods and destroys organic material, which means that we have um, uh, well-preserved organic material in these waters, um, materials that you wouldn't find on land or in other places. And so suddenly we have a cultural heritage or, or remains that um, people are not used to seeing. They are here, but because it's beneath the surface, it's it's um, invisible. And, and I think uh, clearly, I mean, it's a shame. There's just, uh, we're, and we're trying to do something about it by simply taking people beneath the surface and showing them that there is so much more just around the corner, just outside their buildings, just outside of the museum doors. Yeah. Um, and that there's more than a 17th century ship, even though that is amazing and it's 98% original, they're more than just that one. Sure. And and one of the interesting things, two really interesting things here, and one is you talk about the whole range of history in the Baltic. So it goes it goes back to the, the earliest use of boats, which I yeah. think is wonderful. And the other one is the the, the amazing use of technology, uh, which I, you, you do things here which I've never seen anywhere else. So let's just talk about um, let's talk about the period first and 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 the the, the sure. length of the story of Baltic seafaring that you're telling. Yeah, so here we go back seven thousand years uh, to the Stone Age, and we move uh, forward up until today. Uh, I think that the one of the earliest um, sort of sort of most modern uh, examples that we exhibit is. Um, a ferry that sank in 1994. So suddenly everything is sort of fair game uh, in a sense. We're able to sh to just talk about things that we live or exist with and use in our daily lives in the present. So I think that makes it more 
What's the word? I think that it is easier for people to connect to it because they can clearly see these items in their daily lives. Um, but also we go back all the way to the Stone Age where, you know, we can, uh, when um, uh, dugouts were used, mm. so various different kinds of modes of transportation are displayed. But we're also trying to sort of be look, look beyond these modes of transportation and also show other sorts of things, just settlements, uh, um, just um, items that people might have lost uh, while traveling uh, on water, or just the variation of remains that tell us something about the human activity and people's relationship to the Baltic, to the sea, mm. to each other. Um, well, there might be. Yeah. There's a really interesting bit at the beginning with the uh, container sinking, and you can see the exactly. boxes falling out of containers. So that's not yeah. a, not necessarily a shipwreck. That's just a lost container, but it's still scattering items on on the floor of the Baltic. I love the idea of people losing things over a ship. And and I love the fact that suddenly, I mean, things that have been here for so long, and that a few of us have been aware of, just suddenly, it dawns on people that um, that the the world is just their immediate world right here is so much bigger than they can imagine. And so we're trying to visualize that space underwater in the first two exhibitions of the museum on the bottom floor. There the theme is um, underwater or beneath the sea, basically. So you get to hear the Baltic speaking or sharing parts of uh, its history. Um, and then we have another exhibition that focuses a little bit more on one specific shipwreck that sank in the 1660s called The Traveling Man. And there you also get to sort of immerse yourself in the story using these modern methods that I feel are really innovative, that I haven't been I haven't seen used in many other places. No, I haven't. So they're holograms, essentially. Yes. And so instead of raising um, artifacts or entire ships and displaying them on land, conserving them and um, having to manage all of the material, we are instead documenting, documenting underwater and bringing that knowledge up to the surface and then using that to create other ways of experiencing the, um, the sort of artifacts, but also... Um, still sort of while still fulfilling our role as a museum, still sort of documenting, doing research, uh, comparing, um, but just doing it using uh, uh, just slightly differently. Yeah. And, and this, it shows the, the videos of the, say there's an object, it shows yeah. a bit of video of the object in situ and then it yeah. kind of cuts to the hologram. Exactly. Um, yeah. And so you get to both see um, the hologram spinning on its own axle, so you can see it from all sides, and then... Uh, it's sort of as, as soon as you get closer to the artifact itself, to the hologram, it shifts to uh, video so you can see what it's like to dive towards yeah. the object itself. And because it hasn't been raised, the actual cabinets, these are hanging cabinets, um, there's a light underneath them that shines the location of the artifact on the wreck site itself. Uh, and all of this is happening on top of a carpet that's been created with seven thousand, approximately seven thousand photographs taken of the site. 
Uh, so that those photographs were used to create a 3D model that was later sort of flattened out and printed on this carpet in the scale of one to one. So you've, as you're walking through uh, the exhibition, you're actually stepping on. It's like you're stepping on the site itself. Yeah. It's certainly it's the kind of thing that you need to go go back and see several times. There's so much going on. You've got yeah. to uh, not worry about kind of missing things. Exactly. And you sort of need to, yeah, you need to take your time. And it's just not something that you've I've seen anywhere else before. And I think it has a, a it's has great potential to be used in in other contexts, other museum contexts as well. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So you look at the, the, the traveling man, that's the name of that 17th century vessel that went down. What are the, what are the others that you look at? So a few of the others that we have um, in the museum are, for example, the Sun, um, and that is a Swedish vessel vessel that that exploded and sank in 1627 outside of Poland, outside of Danzig or Gdansk. Uh, We also have uh, another wreck that we call Dars, located outside of, in a town called Dars in Germany. And this is a cog. Um, a medieval ship. Right. And then we from also... 1300 or so? Exactly. Yeah. Approximately from... Must have been used for about 40, 50 years, uh, believed to be built around the 1300s and then sunk around the 1350s. Yeah. I think they're fascinating cogs. We need to know more about them. Yes. We really don't know that much about exactly. them. Exactly. Yeah. And then there's um, a few others. For example, there's a submarine from um, the Second World War. It sank in 1944. Um, approximately outside of sort of Estonia, between Estonia and Finland. And this was a submarine that is now in a depth of 95 meters. And um, it sank, it was built in 1942 up in Kiel. It was launched the following year and sank a year after that. And it's still sort of pretty much intact and it's a it's a mine that um made it uh, made it sink mm-hmm. and uh the another another one that is really interesting is um a ferry estonia that sank in 1994 with yeah. approximately a thousand people on board and this is something that people in the baltic remember it's a collective uh, trauma i would say yeah. i even remember when this occurred yeah. I, I remember reading about it in the news yeah 
the Estonia, obviously, famously a big ferry that that sank in a storm in the nineties, and there's there's still a great deal to be discovered there, isn't there? The um, the the U boat's an interesting story. Do you have many U boat wrecks in the Baltic? So um, the one that we do have in the in the exhibition uh, was used to obviously to control sort of what was happening in the Baltic during the Second World War, um, and at the time, and there and there still are thousands of mines out there. Um, the, the, this specific one then was, um, moving in an area and suddenly it lost, um, sort of a radio control, lost, uh, um, communications with the submarine. And after some time, basically they realized that, uh, uh, it must have hit a, hit a mine. And there's like a particular part of the ship where you can see that, um, it, it must have exploded. Um, and this was found again in 2013. And we know that the crew of around 50 people, um, the content of the ship, the crew is still on board. It's quite deep. So my understanding is that studying it is quite difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's still there, pretty much untouched. Mm. And what other kind of projects have you guys got going on looking at wrecks in the Baltic? Well, there's one of the exciting things about this museum is that we have maritime archaeologists or diving maritime archaeologists tied to the museum, heading out, uh, being part of various projects, and then sort of bringing that information that they're collecting back to the museum for us to sort of do various things. And so um, in part, the the these um, sort of um, these archaeologists that are out monitoring different sites they're also part of different research projects and uh, et cetera et cetera so for one we've located the sister ship of Vasa yeah I heard about this another one is that we're constantly or, or well not constantly but but we're heading out and monitoring the traveling man it's in a place where um, or it's it's not permitted to dive on it. So we need to keep track of sort of its state. Uh, we try to keep track of whether or not things are moved. Um, simply its state of preservation. And so here's where there's sort of like um, an interesting question is the more focus, the more we make people aware of what there is, we also have to be, we become more aware of the fact that we also have to protect these things or monitor these sites even more um or there's a fear i guess that knowing more about it will lead to looting or lead to to um disruptions that obviously aren't good for the materials or the sites themselves um at the same time divers are um very helpful and in you know informing or coming back with uh, vital information about the state of different sites as well. So they can also sort of help uh, take care of this cultural heritage. So it's sort of like a balance of both sharing, but also protecting. Um, and basically, I think that where we're standing on this, or where, what we think about this, is that if we share responsibility, if we sort of involve yeah. as many people as possible and, and sort of share like the the uniqueness of this cultural heritage will sort of everyone will help each other make sure that this is protected um 
And one of the things I would say that's probably helpful in that is both what we have here in the museum um, in allowing people to dive without getting wet, for example, letting them experience what is there, see the uniqueness and getting sort of them excited about this, mm. um, but also creating underwater uh, parks where people can actually go down with a diver and see these amazing wrecks just resting at the bottom of the of the Baltic. Mm. Um, That's not an idea I've heard of before. I've certainly, yeah. I've heard of people um, diving down to see art installations, for yeah. example, which I know you can do, um, yeah, but actually right. going, going down to look at archaeology. I mean, that, that tells you about the quality of the, the wrecks you've got and also how accessible they are uh, because it's, it, isn't, it isn't a deep sea, the water's clear, the, the wrecks uh, uh, have survived very well. A wonderful idea. Exactly. I mean, it's, as you were saying, it's not very deep here uh, compared to other seas and uh, we have one of these uh, diving parks, um, Dalaraduk Park is located here in Stockholm, but there is another one being built as we speak and that one is further down south outside of a city called Karlskrona. Mm-hmm. So if you, Sam, if you, if do you dive? I can dive. It's not <laughs> one of my favourite things. I get very claustrophobic when I dive. I, I, I don't like knowing what's, I can't see what's behind me. I, so I'd like to be able to dive with um, some kind of wing mirrors like in a car. Um, and I, I just get really paranoid. I love being in the water. I, I'm very happy in the water. But um, I, I really don't like not knowing what's behind me. So, yes, I do, but uh, not one of my favourite things. Well, if you, I would recommend that you dive in either of these parks or actually I would really love for you to try out our VR experience and then to tell me how you feel, like, if, is it realistic? I did, like, what's the experience like for for you? I would love to have some feedback. Let's do that then. I'm going to try out the VR experience. That's great. Yeah, brilliant. Um, I also love the um, the fact that you go back so far in history. Um, tell me a little about the the, the prehistoric uh, side to things here. So, in one of our more traditional e- exhibitions, um, and the one that I'm thinking about right now is called the Shared Sea. We go back about seven thousand years to a site that we call Tybrindvig. And this is a site that is uh, in Denmark, and it's actually um, located by a lagoon. And it's a site that was in continuous use for about 1,500 years. But as water uh, rose, the settlement kept moving upward. So the, the sort of entirety of, of the site is far bigger than at sort of one point in its use. Um, and... Um, so part of it is under water, and it was excavated, and um, actually the museum that is in charge of the material today is uh, Mosgard Museum in Denmark. And some amazing material came from that site. For example, these dugouts and paddles with elaborate carvings and paintings or like or paint on them basically mm. that have been recreated and tested and from from what i can tell they were really they were fairly well in both protected and more sort of more protected waters by the lagoon and also further out at sea um and these paddles have been recreated as well and they're just phenomenal um but other materials were found there too for example some of the oldest uh textiles um in in europe uh, the sort of 
not actually not just textiles, um, both clothing, I'm assuming, but also uh, ropes uh, that wouldn't have been preserved on land. Uh, there's also, and they wouldn't have been preserved in most oceans as well. That, I mean, that's worth that's worth actually, saying. It goes back to what you were saying about the, the quality of preservation in the Baltic. Exactly. And another thing that comes to mind is that some of these projects, just like the Vasa, feel to me as though they helped various sort of countries to develop methods of working with underwater material um, that hadn't been there before before these sites were found or worked on. Right, okay. Um, a little bit like Vasa, where there wasn't a maritime archaeology before, and so you sort of found a way of both excavating, of, of caring for the materials, and a little bit like trial and error. Mm. Um, and so that's one of the things that stands out for me, specifically in this specific exhibition, is that not only that, but some of the other examples as well show us various ways of working with the materials. Um, and also sort of how divided, as we share the Baltic Sea, there's also different regulations depending on what country you're active in. Um, and uh, and this is the first time that we um, have sort of one space where we can, sort of a hub where we can bring all of these different methods and histories and stories and experiences together in one single place. So that's sort of the goal of this museum, even though we're small in our, and and sort of we uh, we have sort of like a, a, a big vision uh, and hope to be able to sort of like be that space where all of this sort of knowledge is is collected um but yeah and, and we've been only open for a year and a half so we still have a, a very long way to go you do so it's a wonderful place i've thoroughly enjoyed looking around i'm going to go and have, try out some of your your latest technology we we're talking about earlier let's go and do that thank you very much Thank you all so much for listening. Now, please do make sure that you leave us a review on whatever app that you're listening on, especially if you're listening on iTunes. We will read out any review that you leave. It's hugely important. It helps us climb up the rankings and get as many people as possible listening to the podcast. And that's nearly half a million of you already. So thank you very much for your support. But we can do more. We've got a fantastic YouTube channel. Do please check that out. Uh, my current favourite is a wonderful animation of the rules and regulations of composite ships. It shows the secrets of the tea clippers so make sure you have a look at that the podcast comes from both the Society for Nautical Research and Lloyd's Register Foundation so please make sure you do everything in your power to check out what those two brilliant institutions are up to in particular please check out Maritime Innovation in Miniature, just google it Maritime Innovation in Miniature it's Lloyd's Register's Heritage and Education Centre's brilliant project filming the world's best ship models and you can join and please do join the Society for Nautical Research at snr.org.uk. It will help support the podcast. It will help support maritime heritage. It will help support maritime history. It's worth every penny.